Everyone in a city has to live with something. I mean that literally. When you live in a city, you have to share it with others. Human and not human. What can you live with? Welcome to the Labyrinth, a series of stories that intersect like passages in a maze. Can you find your way out? The Lion and the Rat. In this episode, produced by Christopher Kelty, we ask, what can you live with in Los Angeles? It's a simple question without any good answers. It's a cultural question about why we love some animals and hate others. But it's also a natural question about the way all our actions connect in an urban ecology and how hard it is just to live with something. In Los Angeles, we live with lions. Maybe you're thinking of those crazy-ass celebrities and their exotic animal zoos, or some kind of Tiger King shit. My name's Joe Exotic. This is my way of living, and nobody's gonna tell me any other way. Okay, fair enough. It is Los Angeles. But seriously. It's really cool when you see something like this. Lana and her family were stunned to see a mountain lion on their ring video prowling around in front of their Hollywood Hills home early Tuesday morning. Park rangers confirmed the big cat is none other than P-22 because of his GPS tracking collar. They say the famous feline normally spends most of his time in Griffith Park, but often wanders through nearby neighborhoods looking for new areas to roam. One thing is for certain. L.A. can turn anyone into a celebrity. But there are a bunch of lions in Los Angeles, also known as cougars, panthers, pumas, and catamounts. They are, in fact, everywhere, from Canada to Mexico to Florida. In Los Angeles, the National Park Service tracks them all. Maybe this makes them slightly less scary, since we know where they are at all times. Or maybe it's the fact that each one has its own website. Or that their births and deaths are announced on the radio, like those of human stars. There's been a kitten boom in the Santa Monica Mountains in the Simi Hills this summer. Researchers have discovered 13 kittens in five mountain lion dens that were born between May and August. Look at their eyes. Oh, God, I love it. They are cute. Yeah, never too late for some baby-making time. They are cute. So he was probably just coming around and, like, going around the edge of his territory. The teen, who is a lover of wildlife, says she learned about P-22's trek across two freeways and into Griffith Park years ago and immediately became fascinated. And in P-22's case, a lot of attention is lavished on his sex life. Like any good celebrity. Park rangers say the mountain lion has primarily been living alone in a really small environment and believe he came out of the park to possibly find a mate. You just need to be safe and respect the fact that this is a wild animal. It's not something that is just going to be nice and purr and rub against your leg. It is a wild animal that will attack you if it feels threatened. We love and we fear our mountain lions. And for good reason. They're beautiful and terrifying 
the word everyone uses is majestic, signaling that peculiar American obsession with royalty. The Lion King, of course, like dinosaurs, elephants, or wolves, is among one of the first things children come to love and fear. Our first introduction to the sublime. You're all connected in the great circle of life. Sometimes, it seems like P-22 really is the Lion King. There's a picture of P-22, captured in front of the Hollywood sign, that's now almost as famous as the sign itself. There is a punk band named P-22. There is an exhibit about P-22 at the Museum of Natural History. There are countless YouTube videos of P-22 doing everything from killing, to roaming, to purring, to peeing. Seriously. Despite being a wild animal, P-22 has, in the short time he's been in Griffith Park, become legendary. And you know what that means. You're not going to use this story, Mr. Scott? No, sir. This is the West, sir. When the legend becomes fact, print the legend. Legend or not, L.A. Lions find it hard to live with us. Cities are a hard place for a lion to make it. What you're unlikely to hear in the stories of living with L.A. Lions is that they are a mess. Freeways kill a lot of these cats. If you've been on an L.A. freeway, you know what the odds are like of trying to cross it on foot even if you're fast. Indeed, if you visit that museum exhibit, there's a video of the 101 projected on the floor that you can try and hop across like a perverse game of Frogger just to convince yourself how hard it might be. But more than freeways, mountain lions in L.A. tend to kill each other. The male lions fight with each other for dominance over the local females and for territory, and they often kill each other as a result. This also means their sex lives are not for the faint of heart. They mate with daughters, sisters, mothers. They've created a crazy, inbred family tree that would put a Game of Thrones episode to shame.
And not everyone wants to live with lions. Sometimes they wander into the wrong place. A ranch with horses. Or one of the many celebrity estates that line their territory. Where it's possible someone will take matters into their own hands. Why are they such a mess? Well, primarily because they are trapped. Sprawling LA has chopped up their territory and made it impossible for lions in one part of the city to spread out to other parts. When you go hiking in the hills above Los Angeles, it can feel pretty wild, pretty far from the city. But really, for a population of mountain lions, it's a small space. Like humans, young mountain lions eventually like to leave home. But when your home is surrounded by barriers like freeways and private property, there isn't anywhere to go. Which is why we are building a freeway for the lions. It's a very L.A. solution to a very L.A. problem. The Resource Conservation District of the Santa Monica Mountains, along with the National Wildlife Federation, has started an $87 million project to build an overpass across the 101 freeway to be used only by wildlife. The bridge will be like an escape route for lions who don't want to live with us. Those who do want to live with us can stay, and the rest can spread out. It's suburbanization for the lion set. It's exciting to think about living with lions in a city in this way, and there are a lot of people who want to make this kind of coexistence happen. Groups like Save LA Cougars, the Cougar Conservancy, the Mountain Lion Foundation, Citizens for Los Angeles Wildlife, my favorite, Claw. Saving the Lion King is something you can get behind. We could live with lions if we give them space on their own freeway. In order to live with lions in LA, we need to give them their own lane. But of course the story is more complicated than that. We can live with lions if we don't cross paths. But what would it mean to live with another creature? We live with dogs and cats and birds. Our lives are entangled with them. Our living supports their living. But what can you live with? To answer that question, first I have to tell you about another animal. They have been here since the dawn of time. They're here now, waiting, watching. They've gone unchecked, unnoticed, and now they're monsters. Ladder! My hand! Something bit my hand! Are you okay? Let's get the hell out of here. Would you believe that they are saw a rat this big? Are you through? In LA, we live with rats. We don't make our rats legendary, though. We leave that to New York and their ridiculous pizza rat. In L.A., we are part of the global war on the rat. Your lady friend was absolutely right about the rats. They've gotten into the subway. (laughs) 
rats, everyone agrees, are the enemy, as you can hear in this trailer from Deadly Eyes, a 1982 Canadian horror film based on the James Herbert novel The Rats, in which deadly rats consume Toronto residents in the dead of night. But I could have picked any number of movies. Altered Species, Food of the Gods, The Rats, Rats Night of Terror, Killer Rats, Ratman, Rat Scratch Fever. You get the picture. To be clear, what makes rats terrifying is not a single rat. No single rat is scary the way a single mountain lion is. What makes rats terrifying is a whole lot of rats. Unlike the sublime fear that a mountain lion can provoke, the horror we have of rats is more visceral. Scurrying. Slimy tails. Disease-ridden. Incessant gnawing. Filthy, sewer-dwelling, trash-eating swarms of rats. You can feel the panic. There is nothing majestic about rats. Rats are disgusting. Even in the few heroic stories we tell about rats, like in Ratatouille or The Rats of Nim, the stories are about distrust between rats and humans. Of course, in Disney movies, it all works out just fine. But mostly, when rats and humans associate, the outcome is not good. This is Willard, and these are his friends, Ben and Socrates. I'm going to have a big surprise tomorrow. Willard takes good care of them. In the B-movie Willard from 1971, the title character is a brow-beaten young man with a domineering mother, an undeveloped love life, and a scheming boss. You... you made me hate myself. Well, I like myself now. Willard befriends the rats in his mother's decaying Victorian house and develops an almost psychic ability to control swarms of them. He uses this power not for good, of course, but for revenge on those who have slighted him. Willard's association with the rats doesn't make him stronger, though. His self-hatred is transformed into evil by his unholy connection to the rodents. And, the film suggests, it is the rats who control him as much as he does them. Rats, it would seem, are not something we can live with. If anything... They are an existential horror. Perhaps it is because they are so much like us that we hate them so much. So we don't think twice about killing rats. See a rat in your house? Grab a trap or a box of poison. It's not an accident that American ingenuity is associated with ever better and more creative traps. It's an old story. As old as the 14th century Pied Piper of Hamlet. The original rat catcher. There is some romance in catching rats. It's like good detective work. Finding the places where rats enter a building, locating their underground lairs, or cunningly placing a snap trap in just the right place. But today's rats are rarely killed by snap traps. As with so much in our society, we've found a more efficient way. 
Today we use rodent bait stations, filled with poison. Take a walk outside, wherever you are, and look carefully. You will likely come across a rodent bait station. These small black boxes, placed around the edges of buildings, contain a block of poison that attracts rats. As you can see, they look like black boxes. Most of them are designed this way. There are some that are designed to look like rocks, so they can blend into its surroundings. They require a special key to be opened so that people can't just easily access the inside of the bait station. On the inside, you'll notice in here, at the center, this is the area that's designed to hold the bait, the product itself. It has two openings at each side, and they're designed to let the rodents go in and then out. And the pest control companies oblige us with a bewildering array of solutions tailored to every need. The pest posse is in the house, that's right. So we're here to provide you with our insights and experiences in the pest management industry. Today, we are doing a bait station review for you. Now this one's nice, it's got the tray, so you can remove that, clean it out super easy. This, this is the SenseTech station. They're big stations. They got two feeding troughs. So these are all right in their settings, but I think they're a little large. Now, these are the LPs. The LP is, a, is kind of a nice station, but... The most commonly used and most effective poison is an anticoagulant poison. There are dozens of different kinds. It doesn't kill rats immediately, not in the dramatic way people die in movies. No, it kills slowly. If rats eat enough of it, it starts thinning their blood more and more until eventually their blood vessels essentially dissolve and they die from internal bleeding. A hungry rat might therefore eat ten times more than is necessary to kill it before it starts to do its work. This is important to what I'm about to tell you next. Because it's not instant, and because a rat can consume far more than is necessary to kill it, what happens is that the poison becomes mobile. It leaves the bait station in a train of rats. Rats go in, eat a bunch of this poison, go out, and search for more food while the poison does its work. In the meantime, another animal, like a hawk maybe, or a coyote, both of which are fairly common in LA, might stalk that rat and eat it especially if it starts to slow down or become disoriented on account of the poison. Then that poison is in the bird, or in the coyote. And if that coyote is eaten by a mountain lion, now that poison is in the mountain lion. And that poison is in the mountain lion, in nearly every mountain lion in California, it appears. I know an old lady who swallowed a fly I don't know why she swallowed a fly Perhaps she'll die I know an old lady who swallowed a spider That wiggled and jiggled and tickled inside her She swallowed the spider to catch the fly But I don't know why she swallowed the fly Perhaps she'll die I know an old lady who swallowed the... Our very success in killing rats this way has meant that such secondary poisoning has become the third most common cause of death for mountain lions in California, as well as for other animals like bobcats, hawks, or coyotes. 
Because we can't live with rats, it turns out we also can't live with lions. But, you are thinking, if poisons kill mountain lions, then clearly it's time to ban the use of these poisons. This is without reference to file AB 1788. Clerk will read. Assembly Bill 1788 by Assemblymember Bloom and others inoculating the pesticides. And this is just what California has decided to do. California's Assembly recently passed a bill to place a moratorium on the use of these poisons in September of 2020 the California Ecosystems Protection Act. ...of a public health emergency for the agriculture industry and for vector control. The bill is broadly supported by over 60 animal rights and environmental groups, including several cities in Los Angeles County, and ag has withdrawn its opposition and has gone neutral. Thank you. I ask for your I vote. Thank you, Mr. Bloom. Seeing no discussion or debate on the item, clerk will open the roll. All members vote. Who desire to vote, all members vote. Who desire to vote. All members vote or desire to vote. Clerk will close the roll tie. The vote ayes 46, nose 11. The Senate amendments are concurred in. Problem solved. Except for the fact that there are still rats. You haven't stopped hating the rats any less. You just don't want to kill mountain lions in the process. What can you live with? Caught in the middle of this are the pest control firms that place the bait stations. This small industry is made up of hardworking people who are often treated on one day as heroes for removing an animal or getting rid of rats, and on others despised for killing and doing the dirty work the rest of us are unwilling to do. The efficient placement of millions of bait stations around our city is their daily bread and butter. We're here to make money, and so our battle is to provide something that our customers want. And I'm not afraid to say that, I run a business. I'm here to make money. I will happily sell you something that's non-toxic. I will happily sell you whatever you want. You just have to be willing to pay for it, and it has to work. Because I don't want to get sued because (laughs) something didn't work, or I don't want to lose customers. I get customers who will like, yeah, come and do it. I'm like, are you sure? Probably not gonna work. And in two months, you're gonna cancel me because you're going to have a really bad rat problem. We caught 40 rats. Great. 10 base stations is going to kill 400 rats. Pest control professionals are also horrified that their daily work is killing mountain lions. It might come as a surprise, but most of the people in this industry are animal lovers. They don't like killing animals any more than you do. But you called them. They didn't make the decision to kill the rats. We did. We decided we can't live with rats. The bait stations everywhere in our cities are not just the result of choices made by people like you and me. They are a system that keeps rats in check. They are also a system that keeps pest control techs employed and paid. And a system that maintains a kind of responsibility for rats. Pest control companies place these stations not just for you and me, but for lots of large organizations, for whole cities whose rats have become a problem, for big buildings and skyscrapers, for grocery store chains and restaurants, and for large suburban homeowners associations, all of whom are eager to keep their neighborhoods rat-free and maybe 
more importantly, to demonstrate their responsibility and limit their liability. Even if we ban the poison, we will still have rats. And we will still have a system designed to control them. Those bait stations aren't going anywhere. And to be honest, we are going to put something else in the bait station. Because you can't just live with rats. Can you? This episode of The Labyrinth Podcast was produced by Christopher Kelty. Audio engineer, Adam Wand. Research by the Labyrinth team, including Jessica Lynch, Chase Niesner, Soledad Altrudi, Aditi Halba, Spencer Robbins, Bradley Cardozo, Sarah Zemer, Niaz Sassunian, and Emma Horton. Art and design by Amisha Gadani. Special thanks to all the people who've helped with this research and who remain anonymous here. And also to the Laboratory for Environmental Narrative Strategies for collaborating on this podcast series. Music in the podcast includes a rendition of The Old Lady Who Swallowed a Fly by Burl Ives, and the song Farrowing Crate by the fantastic LA band P22. The Labyrinth Project was funded by the UCLA Sustainable Grand Challenge Program and the UCLA Institute for Society and Genetics. Additional audio notes, background information, and credits can be found on our website, labyrinth.garden. Hey there, this is your friendly labyrinth expert. Just so you know, there's another passageway that leads away from here to another story that is strangely similar. In a city where climate change seems so evident, people become aware of their detrimental activity. I mean, it stares you in the face every time you leave your house. Why is so much of the attention on individual actions and behaviors when we have conversations about the climate and responsibility? It's difficult to make the right decisions when the whole infrastructure of the United States and the economy is against you. And so why shame individuals in the first place if we cannot even reach most of the goals we are supposed to strive for? Is shame really that effective? If you want to follow that passageway, it's the episode called Unsustainable. Did you bring thread? Does this maze have a monster? Find out. Good luck. <laughs>